Hello and welcome back to the F24 podcast. My name is David and every week I have a creative come over to my studio in North Acton to talk about their lives and interactions with London, culture and creativity. For those that have listened before, I've taken out the chapters that broke up the conversation and I've just run the whole interview, no breaks. Same story, but let me know your thoughts. So this week, this week's a massive treat for me. A Kilburn kid, a legend out of the manor, London's very own, DJ MK. It was a real pleasure him coming over. The day before he was interviewing Rick Ross and the day after he was off to Europe to go and DJ. He's achieved loads and he gives us great insight into his experiences in reading North London streets, finding graffiti and hip hop and also what the city had on offer in terms of that culture. And then how he worked and planned his route to making a name for himself in the DJ world. MK's list of accomplishments is crazy and I think there's quite a few firsts in there too which is always great. Door opening for years like a true gent. Had a great conversation with him. Brilliant having him round. One of my hip-hop heroes. Enjoy. This is F24. Thank you, brother. Thanks for coming round. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Wicked to meet you at last, after yeah. all these years. I know. Seeing your name everywhere. Got the tapes. Got the single releases. Kilburn Connection. All that Kilburn stuff as well, man. <laughs> Super proud to, to you know, know that you're from there. and yeah, 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 We've yeah. got shared friends, so... um. Yeah, thanks for coming over, man. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure, man. Let's start at the beginning, man. So, Kilburn, what, what happened there? How did it start? School school was was pretty unenjoyable. Yeah. Went to Our Lady of Grace and Dollis Hill. Then went Cardinal Vaughan. Left there quickly, went St. Charles. Oh, right, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. Which was a lot better. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was born in Harleston. Then we lived in Easton. Grew up in Easton, Wembley. And then moved back to like Kilburn, Cricklewood. So the full Northwest package. Yeah, you I think I think all. apart from Kensal Green, I've lived in every borough of Brent. Sick. <laughs> like, that's something to be proud <laughs> that's of. That's quite a claim though, man. Yeah. That's no, quite true. a claim. That's <laughs> wicked. Yeah. So when did you come across culture? How did you what was it that brought you into the culture we're in? And... You know what? That's a good question. The first thing I think like with with art or, 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 or graph or whatever, the first thing I used to notice was, used to, on Thursdays in Wilson Sports Centre, they used to have free swimming lessons. Yeah. So my mum used to take me, and when you used to go over the bridge going down from Dollars Hill into uh, into Wilson, where the, where the college is on the right, yeah. there's a bridge. And it, I'd always notice like this, like political statements, uh-huh. like, they were there from the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Ban the bomb, CND. Radio Caroline Forever. And I used to say to my mum, like, Radio Caroline Forever? Like, what's what that? What is that? And then my mum would go, oh, we used to listen to that. That's like a radio station and Tony Blackburn and they played really nice music. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. And then getting a little bit older, sort of, I suppose, like maybe eight or nine, I'd see graffiti. Yeah. And I remember going to school, uh, going down Blackbird Hill. And on where I think Godfrey Davis used to be near where, where that McDonald's is, there's yeah. a bridge. And on the left hand side, there was a piece that just said fresh and it had like a, a Cheech Wizard character. And on the right hand side, there's another piece that just said hip hop. It probably took me about six months from just going by in the car yeah. to work out what this actually said. And then at that time, I was living in Wembley and uh, off the high road in Wembley. I see another one of these pieces. It just said music. <laughs> Sick. I had all I, these just yeah. Na- not even names yet. These yeah. are just words. And if this is this is this is like this is like eighty four, maybe wow. eighty three even. Uh and then I'm trying to piece things together, and then 
obviously I'm watching Top of the Pops. Yeah. I've seen Buffalo Girls, Malcolm McLaren. I see Graf in the background. I'm like, right, that's like what we've got down the road. Okay. All right. Getting to know about hip hop. This new thing that's coming in, obviously. Are you chatting to friends about it in school and that? Yeah, yeah. So, but not many friends. No. Like your average kid in 1983, 84, who's, who's like nine, nine years old, 10 years old, was still into you know Michael Jackson and it's a, it's a certain breed of person that notices things at that young age. Yeah, there's maybe. something in us that yeah, that's, yeah. Not 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 to make us better or anything. Sure, I don't mean sure, that. Sure. I just mean the fact that you. Like, I remember my first years of seeing Graf in like '86, '87, mm. and seeing people tag or whatever, and you're like, yeah, my friends just didn't. What I don't know what you're looking at. Yeah. What? Why are you looking at that? Or what are you looking at? Mm. And then it was the same with first hip hop I started listening to. Like what? Why we've got pop music, but you wouldn't say that. Yeah. Just but there's this. What is this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like everyone had to like work it out and kind of piece it together because there's no internet, there's no actual manual, there's no book, there's no bible to go. This is what hip hop culture was, and yeah. obviously it was evolving. So it's kind of you know DIY, making it up as you go along. So I used to play football uh, for a team in Dollars Hill called St Andrews, and we used to play Chalk Hill Dynamos, who were the best team. Chalk Hill Dynamos, they were they were dons and like. The biggest hackers in the world who fight, <laughs> yeah. but we'd go down to Chocolate Estate and play there, and they had the Hall of Fame there, yeah. uh, Poplar Grove, and then I remember just playing football and again seeing these pieces. Now this time it wasn't just one or two pieces, it was like a, a Hall of Fame, like proper art. And I'm thinking, raw. I remember going up and seeing like, you know, old spray cans that were obviously used for these pieces on the yeah. floor and picking up a spray can for the first time, going. And I remember, I think maybe I even tried to spray and my mate was like, no, 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 don't spray over it. Like those graph writers don't like that. Like, you get in trouble. And I was like, okay, all right, safe. Learning little lessons as you go along. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. So then next year I'm going to secondary school, 1986. So now I'm going from Wembley Park, uh -huh. from the Big Met. Nice. Up to, well, I was going Vaughan, so I could have gone Holland Park Central, yeah. changed at Bond Street, or could have gone Baker Street. Got in a circle. Goldock Road. Yeah. Could have, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm on the big Met every day. And then I'm like, oh, wow. Like set three, Kiss 42, wow. Serbo. Uh, Elk in the tunnels. Or not just not, yet. Uh, not, not yet. yet. No, not no, yet. no, you're not right. Not yet. Yeah. Like, not yet. I think. They're more like my years, to be honest. I think the first time I saw Elk, I mean, I'm sure he was doing his thing before. Yeah. But the first time I saw him was, 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 was I, I remember I took a photograph of uh, a bus stop in Wembley and it was the most battered bus stop and the reason why I took a photograph was I tagged it so I wanted a photograph of my yeah. tag and there was an elk tag early elk tag and I was like rah like there's elk create serbo so I'm just seeing all these like writers pieces and just being like rah and then this it's is all the clicking thing. together because I'm a bit older I know what hip hop is now I'm listening to the music uh, obviously by that time we, we had uh, Subway Art Yeah. so when Subway Art dropped which I think I must have seen it it's about 85 maybe wow and then that was just like wow this is like what I want to do, do it all I mean? starts coming together yeah yeah amazing it must have been such a nuts time like anyone I chat to because obviously when I got into it Subway Art was already on the shelves yeah magazine graphism was starting to pop right. out yeah 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 you know what I mean it was and the Halls of Fames were about Camden, I remember seeing mm. in 94, 95. Mm. And so a lot more accessible in terms. The, the start of it was such a different world, like completely different what you got experienced. Yeah. 
I mean, with me, I'm not. I'm old enough to remember those times, yeah. but I wasn't old enough to be active. So like Covent Garden, like all that, I was never a part of that because I was too young. I yeah. remember my mum taking me to Covent Garden and seeing that Trailblazers piece yeah. and stuff and being, again, that was another piece of the puzzle going, that's graffiti, I know what more that of is. It, more of it. But, so luckily I was old enough to clock it and be there, yeah. but not, yeah, you weren't partaking, no, no friends of in no, it, no. you know what I mean? But just an interest. Yeah. And your mum was like, yeah, cool, you can be interested yeah, in yeah, that. You yeah, can look at that. Yeah. And... But 86 is when I started writing and then I was just a toy. And then I was more just a bomber, really. Streets or inside? Oh, or yeah, yeah. In, yeah. Uh, yeah, Big Met mainly. Uh, Little Met. Wherever you... Central, yeah. I suppose. Uh, yeah, Go Yards. And then 90... I got bagged for something, had to go away for a bit. And then I was like, you know what? I can't really do graph anymore. Yeah. Because I put my mum through enough. Yeah. You know. And this is just another thing that could, yeah, just bring me down that yeah. wrong road. And then obviously I always loved hip hop. I was buying records from since I was literally five As you years could, old, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And stuff like that. Uh, and then got dicks, got into, got into DJing. So what was your, the in-between bit before... You're writing graffiti, yeah. and by that point, you've got friends when you're in the scene, yeah, like to yeah. the 90s, and then you... And all of that was focused around Kilburn, right. Kilburn Park, because I used to hang out with like our, our writers like like Fair, Trace, Hyde, uh, Evil, wow. uh, a guy called Endure, uh, a guy called Naughty, who used to go born, and he lived up in Watford, he used to live in Easton. Wow. Uh, and then... Yeah, we were all just like bombers and like little pieces. And did you all get into music at the same time? Was it, was it, was it, um, did hip hop come with the graffiti as you got into it? Or was it another choice? Was it the sounds good? So I'm going to take that with me as well. Or was it all one introduction? I know you mentioned Buffalo Girls, but yeah, yeah. Did you see it as two separate things maybe? No, or? I, I didn't see it as two separate things at all. But like I was saying, it was piecing it together. So the first actual hip hop I heard was probably like Buffalo Girls, even stuff like Wordy Rapping by like Tom Tom Club. Wow. That was probably the first thing I ever heard where I clocked. These these guys aren't singing. Yeah. They're doing some skippity... Something's different Something's here. different. Yeah. Uh, but in all of, even like Shaka Khan, I feel for you, you know, there's graph in the background of that. And, uh, and then the hip hop was just side by side. Just so if you're into this thing like graph, You'd, you'd listen to Mike Allen, you'd listen to Westwood and LWR, you'd have your tapes. Sick. Because you weren't, you know, records were expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick, you know, 5 99 for a 12. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got into graph culture and meeting other graph writers, everyone was listening to hip hop. Wicked. Like, especially 87, that was Run DMC album, you know, Peter Piper stuff like that, and, and Public Enemy. Yeah. And that was. Massive. That shit was 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 massive, it, and it just changed everything, you know. Crazy times. But man. then I did notice getting into like eighty, not so much eighty eight, but more eighty nine, and and ninety before I stopped, before I got caught. People were starting to get into that more house side. People were taking pills. Right. Yeah. And that was starting to influence graph, and you could see people's stars changing. Yeah. But at that time, we were all purists, so we were like. What is this? House music? Yeah. Are you mad? 
that's for us for those other guys yeah. like, we don't listen to that do you know what I mean it was all about racking about being crewed up about rolling deep yeah. was it was it housey was it, was, did the house shit kick off in Kilburn I don't know man for me it didn't I I'm can't sure. I don't remember I, when I heard reggae more about and hip hop was what I was hearing yeah when I heard more about the, the culture as I got older mm. I'd hear a lot about the rave scene and I'd hear a bit of it from Elk, and I know he was in West Hampstead, yeah. but the rest of it was all East. Yeah. I'd hear about it all from East. Right. And so, I, I, and then you'd, you'd see some pieces from like late 80s, early 90s. West and Northwest had always kept, as far as I was concerned, the hip hop style. Mm. And East just went a bit more <laughs> crazier as the drugs came in. Yeah. You know, I wonder, it's just a yeah. bit of an observation I've had. Yeah, you might be yeah. right. I mean, for me, I never went to East London. I didn't even no. know where that place was. Yeah. Like, I just never go there because yeah. obviously I'm from Northwest. I'm going to school in West London. So all my mates are, you know, Brent or Labrick Grove. Yeah. And that was, that, that was it. So, I, I, in South London as well. Yeah. Like, I didn't know, I knew some of their writers, the, the hardcore yeah. ones who were going to all city, but I was oblivious to what was going on there. And they had their own thing going on and yeah. their own style and shit. So. so it's weird that, isn't it? London was so much, it felt so much different. I don't know if it was to do with our age or not. But yeah, I didn't explore much out of my manner. Like I, I think as well, like people forget there was a huge rivalry between West and South. Yeah. Particularly like Grove and Brixton yeah. and, and, and stuff like that. And that, you know, that affected hip-hop and, and, and graph because and the movement of people around the streets wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. and you know certain rappers wouldn't mess with other guys because they weren't from yeah you know, well, that's all stupid shit really but that's what was going on so when um you decide graffiti's not the thing i can't put my mum through this shit anymore mm. i'm done i'm gonna move on to this music stuff yeah what gave you the idea to think I'm going to be a DJ? I know you've been buying records and like getting the tapes together. Did you think I'm going to be a DJ? I just, or I just This is another thing I can do to be part of the culture at the time, I suppose. I think when I was seeing guys like Jazzy Jeff, Cash Money, I remember watching Westwood, Ensign Radio 89, and he had a session with Cash Money and Marvellous. And Cash Money was just cutting up. Uh, and I, I was just amazed by that. My mate uh, from Hammersmith won two tickets for the DMC World Finals at the Albert Hall, 1989. Okay. Uh, which is obviously, people don't know DMC, it's like a big DJ competition. Roxanne Chante was performing, Big Daddy Kane was performing. Amazing. And that was probably like the first, I went to some park jams before that where in Scrubs, okay. yeah, just people just get robbed, I think. I think even Westwood got his mix in it. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. But, uh, Unregulated scene, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, man, it's just... So seeing the DMCs and seeing... So yeah, just seeing those guys and I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I didn't have... I think I had one deck at home so mm -hmm. I used to like practice scratching on that and it, I didn't even have slip mats so obviously the other side of my record would just, just get ruined. ruined yeah. uh, and then I had a, a brethren called, called Glenn, Irish kid in Grove and he had a set of decks and one day I went round to his house Maybe he had two copies of uh, Picking Boogers, Bismarcky and I tried cutting it up, obviously terrible. Uh, but something just told me, you can do this. This is it. And then like, I just, I was just like hustling little things. I had like two paper rounds. 
I'd, I'd do stupid things like I'd bribe the goalkeeper at a football match with the school and I'd take bets on the game. <laughs> uh, Amazing. Uh, well, just, just anything to make money. Yeah. Because I was buying records. Yeah, you just wanted to fund that passion. Yeah, so I thought, I've got the records. How, you know, let's just do it. So I sold it as much things as I could. Got like a little 200 quid together. Went down Edgeware Road with my mum and got two uh, sound lab decks. Yeah. And a Make to Fade mixer. Wicked. Uh, and then I just started practicing. I started making mixtapes for myself. At that time, I was like 16, 17. I was going to St. Charles College. Uh-huh. And I remember I was listening to one of my mixtapes. This kid called Darren was next to me. He was like, oh, what are you listening to? And I was like, oh, I've got decks. So I was doing this mix. And he's going, this is fucking wicked. He was like, bro, if I give you a tape, will you, and, and I'll give you like a five or whatever. Yeah. Will you like make me a mixtape? I was like, yeah, cool. So made this guy a mixtape for a fiver. I thought, oh, fiver. Yeah. And then came back the next week and he told two people and by now everyone's giving me tapes to do the mixes and I'm like you know what this is kind of long man I yeah. can't be doing these personalised mixtapes nah. I just need to do one mixtape of all of the latest shit and sell that at college at that time I was going four star journal yes and I was getting like he had loads of radio tapes yeah of like uh, I remember at that time it was like Red Alert and Kid Capri and I was listening to these guys on New York Radio and just thinking, this is incredible, man. Like, the way they're cutting up. This is me, you know? I love this. And then that's, 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 that's how it all graduated. It was all Labrick Grove, me just selling mixtapes in that college. And literally everyone who went to that college was buying bought yeah. one of my mixtapes. And then from there, it just spread out to record shops in Soho, shops in, like, uh, Notting Hill. And then I had all of London covered. Then I started to go to France connect with graph writers out there yeah next thing like i'm selling 500 copies like in a week easily yeah of, of these mixtapes and then it just got bigger and bigger is this early 90s early to mid this is this is this is like started doing the mixtapes probably 92 okay wicked so 92 93 it's kind of yeah college days selling them in grove and then selling them to shops did that start to get you obviously a lot a lot more noticed? Did you start getting to play out then? No, I was too young. You were still was, too young. Yeah, I was Wicked. Too, I was too young to to, to, to really to yeah. go to go into clubs. But what it was was the big the big break for me was uh when I was I think seventeen, Westwood bought one of my mixtapes in Black Market. And I was eating yeah, it was Sunday and he called up my house. On the home phone, my mum picked up the phone because the number was on the back yeah, of the tape. Spoke to, yeah, spoke to Westwood, you know, <laughs> and uh, he was like, Oh, like, I love your mixtape, like, come down to Capital and, and do me a mix. Sick. So I did it in my bedroom, and like, people people got to realize, like, at that time, like, 93, like, Westwood had the best radio show in the world, yes, like. Blowing the fuck up. Yeah. Massive. Like you're talking about, you know, guys playing tunes that might not even come out, guys playing tunes before anyone. And, yeah. and that was like, everyone listened to that show. So then for me to do mixes for him, that was just like, I thought, oh my God. So you did more than the one mix. It's, he was just like, he loved the first one. He was like, let's go. Yeah. I mean, Tim was mad cool with me, man. Like, I've got to give that man his props. And, and he let me do mixes on and off for him until he started on Radio 1. 
Wow, you went on for so, a while then. So that was like 93 to 95. Wow. So, yeah, props to him. And then I started hanging uh, record shops. I really wanted to work in a record shop because you're a DJ. If you yeah. get to work in a record shop, you, you get to meet everyone. You get the vinyl, you get the promos. Uh, so then I started working in a, a record shop in 95 called Handspun Records, which was opposite uh, Uptown yeah. Records in Darbley Street. And then we stayed open for a year. And then that spot closed. And then the guy who owned that place was a guy called Peter, Peter Bond. And he was like, look, I'm going to open up another shop. I want you to come in as a partner. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, so then we got a guy called Tony Vegas, who used to be in a record shop called Mr. Bongo's. Three of us got together. I don't know how we did it, but we managed to get a loan from that West Bank for 20 grand. <laughs> and then we set up Deal Real Records, which was... Uh, yeah, in Knoll Street, and that was in an amazing seven. spot, man. Yeah. Do you know? I don't know if you've been past recently because it's a restaurant now. Coffee shop. Coffee shop. Yeah. But the pole is still there. I know. I know. Amazing. I know. I know. Yeah, I, I've been in there and I told them. Yeah. I was like, you know what? This used to be my record shop. I showed them photographs. Sick. I was like, you know, you need to keep all those stickers there because yeah. they're like, you know, twenty-two years old. It's, it's so good to see, year. and I love the fact you can see it from outside. It's yeah, just that it's proper wicked. like. Changes the whole view of that space. Yeah. Deal Real was the sickest yeah. shop. Yeah, man. it was good days. Those late nineties shops, mid to late nineties shops here in Soho, uh, I loved them. I loved them. Mm. Amazing times. Yeah, and it was just around the corner or across the road, or there'd be you could spend a day there, man, and be in ten different stores. Wicked days. And that was like the meeting point. Yeah, you know, for graph writers. Yeah. For you know, that's 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 where I met like 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 teach. Sick. Where I met, uh, like Ray, like all the DDS lot was was from the record shop in yeah. 1996. Rodney P, every rapper. Yeah. If it weren't for those rec- for me working in the record shop, I wouldn't know no one. But that's because everyone had to come to the record shop yeah. to get the hit of vinyl, exactly, right? Yeah. So find out what what was in the clubs. You know what I mean? Who's doing what? Who's coming over? Have you yeah. got any PAs? Yeah. All of that. Exactly. Yeah. So fucking hell. So when you got into the record shop business. Mm. Did you, and you're still being a DJ and putting out mixes? So now I'm, I'm putting out mixtapes. I've got a little buzz from Westwood. People are starting to know who I am. People are coming into the shop asking for DJ MK tapes, even though they don't know I'm DJ MK. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to DJ abroad now. Wicked. So now I'm going like Paris quite regular. Uh-huh. Belgium. Remember 97, went out to Croatia wow. for the first time. Uh, my guy Fat Philly, he brought me out there. Uh... And in August 96, we started a, a hip-hop night called The Hop. So The Hop was uh, me, Shorty Blitz, and a guy called Diablo. Yeah. And at that time in 96, club-wise, there was nothing regular. Yeah. Like before that, uh, 279 was doing his thing with Flavor of the Month. But that had kind of gone quiet. Uh, and there was a night in King's Cross, uh, a guy called Matt Smooth, he was setting up called Scratch. Uh-huh. Yeah, Scratch uh, was another one, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Shock was doing those flyers, I exactly, remember. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So those were the two things that were going on. And that club was just like an underground spot, Wednesday night, 10 till 3 in the morning. And it was ram every month. Sick. And it was wicked. And what made it really good was, obviously, we were there playing stuff and we were young, do you know what I mean? But it was the right balance of whoever wanted to come there, if you were cool. Yeah. Hip-hop heads, graph writers, 
dodgy people. Yeah. But kind of all coming together. In a blessed vibe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all kind of made for an amazing night. It must have been. I think also, like I've heard, I never went to it. I heard lots about it. And I, I think a lot of that respect value was there because of who was putting it on. Because of you lot putting it on. And all of your history, separate histories throughout the London scenes. I think having that type of um, clientele there was going to be possible without yeah. it being too mental. Yeah, always, I'd always heard it had the vibe. Yeah. It was hard being new there, maybe. But, um, yeah, I heard it was a, a great, great time. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, there wasn't much going on. No. Little, no. I mean, obviously, Mud, uh, Mudlim started off a Mudlam bit later. Mudlim started a bit, yeah. yeah. A bit later. But then, yeah, it was... I remember Prime telling me about um, Scratch and how important that night was. Yeah. I remember being with him one, one day, actually, and he was going that night. And him totally explained to me what it was and how important S- it was. Scratch was good. I mean, props to, to, to Matt who put that on. He's a really good guy. Still see him now. And what they did was they really took on the elements. Of yeah, the elements. So you'd right. see breaking and you'd see that graph. And I weren't always down with some of the dudes that they had breaking or I probably didn't think they were the best. Yeah. But it was cool and it was in, it was exposure. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. For, for everyone. And, another yeah. added element to, for yeah. it to all to continue. And if you're a DJ, it was another spot yeah. where you could DJ. Like I remember Matt booking me to DJ there and uh, Futura, Stash and Lee what? were over doing an ex- something for Levi's on Regent Street. And Futura and Lee came down to the shop and I got to meet them. Like Futura like bombed up the front of, 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 of the shutters and uh mad cool. I think I remember that. I'm having flashbacks. Right, right. But I remember saying like Lee was like, Yo man, yo, anything going on tonight? And I was like, I'm DJing if you wanna come down to yes. see me DJ. Like, oh word, yeah, yo. And I remember like DJing at scratch and Lee walking in. <laughs> putting me on the list and like sort of give me a high five and I was just like oh my god that's like my favourite graffiti writer what the in the fuck world is happening? he's just coming to a club like on my guest list like in London what the hell yeah, yeah. I'm playing man. Yeah. this is nuts wicked times man mm. so you were fully in by then late 90s you knew I'm in this music business oh yeah I mean before that really I mean when I left home I left home when I was 18 mm-hmm. like 93 94 uh, and I moved to West Kent Estate, uh, and and that was when, that was it. Like I've moved out of home. I don't have a job. Yeah. I have to make my own money, or I'm I'm starving. Do you know what I mean? And was that the case then? You didn't bother getting a job. You just worked hard at your job. Yeah. No. Nah, the last proper, little hustles, but yeah. Yeah. The last proper job I ever had was at HMV in Oxford Street, and I worked there for three months. And there was this like racist East London like. Cockney geezer, me and him had a big fight, and yeah, he got me kicked out. Yeah, and then I thought, you know what? I'm never gonna work for anyone else again in my life, man. Yeah, like, fuck that. I, shit. I know there's enough in me to I can yeah. make something yeah, out of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sick. So I, I, from then I was like, had it. And, my, and you know what? My parents were really cool. Like my dad was always like, "You can do whatever you want. You got the dream, go for it." Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they had it hard, man. Coming yeah. over from Ireland, my dad was from Belfast. Right. So he was coming over, in, you know, escaping the war zone that was Northern town, Ireland. Yeah. And then coming to, 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 you know, Northwest London, which was cool. But even unless you're in Kilburn or whatever, 
if you were stepping out slightly, you know, it was the days of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah. And it was hard shit, you yeah. know, and IRA were bombing and blowing up, you know, Everything Hyde Park, Harrods. Yeah. So they, Corner. Yeah, so if they, they heard that, that voice, it wasn't exactly yeah. good. But and where was your mum from Southern Ireland then? Yes, yeah, she's yeah. from Dublin, yeah. Wow, okay, so that must have been quite a mad thing for their family. No, nah, both, right? so. both Catholic. Both yeah, Catholic? Yeah, oh, right, cool, so, so no dramas then. No dramas, no. That's good, that's yeah. good. My mum's from Dublin. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. yeah boy. Wicked, so you hit the... You got the shop, that's all working, and you're making tapes out of there and you're DJing in different clubs. And then how did you take the steps to go onto your, you know, bigger ventures like radio shows or just uh, I remember like so Yeah, so I'm doing mixes for Westwood and at this time two seven nine's killing it. So a guy called Hakim Stevens hooked me up with uh, Steve two seven nine. Uh, and I really wanted to do mixes for him because the way I figured it is if I can't have my own radio show if I do mixes for their radio shows I I'm mean, essentially yeah, on the radio exactly. right so then I remember speaking to 279 and 279 wasn't like Westwood no 279 was hardcore <laughs> 279 was like why should I let you do yeah, what? mix I've got Cutmaster Swift doing me a mix oh, shit. he's the 1989 world DMC champion what are you gonna do <laughs> And, and and looking back, it was really good of him to yeah. do that because he really pushed me because the first time I ever did a mix, I remember thinking to myself, this has got to be the dog's bollocks. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I spent probably like three days practicing to do this mix. And then I did this mix for him and it came out wicked. Isn't that a great thing? I think that's a great thing about hip hop is that, cool, come in. You can come in and do your thing. That's fine. If you want to step up, you better show us. Yeah. You had to prove yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like, and opportunities were given, but if you fuck up, see you later. Yeah. It's going to be that cold. Like, yeah. and a great thing about the culture, I think, is that it is just all about you and what you're prepared to put in. Yeah. It's not about what you can bring or how big yeah. your wallet is. Just, or, and that's the thing. There yeah. was no faking it. No, it's you like, can't. Doesn't matter where you're yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. No because faking it at all. If, if you were rubbish, like if you were an MC and you stepped up, you know, you would get a bottle thrown at you. Yeah. You would get dragged off. Yeah. You would get. You weren't welcome. No. Like, chiefs were not welcome. Mm. You had to offer, you had to... And it's up to you, you and... like, all oh, right, cool, that's happened. I'm either going to walk away or I'm going to try harder. Mm. I'm going to try harder. I'm yeah. going to try harder. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. those ones that succeed. You yeah. know what I mean? You just yeah, got yeah, like yeah, wicked. Yeah. So he gave you that opportunity. Yeah, so he gave me that opportunity. So now I'm doing mixes for him. He's got the show popping. I've got the mixtapes popping. I'm starting to DJ around Europe now. Uh, then in... 97 when we still had deal real i remember bumping into a guy called rodney roots maneuver i'd known him for maybe three years before i knew his 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 manager uh he used to have the record label called sound of money records which yeah. uh, black twang and roots maneuver uh i re i just got on an agency a dj agency all right and i said to to rodney yo i've just been put on this agency i need someone to mc for me like do you want to hook up like I'll DJ for whatever an hour an hour and a half and you can MC for me cool so then we started doing we the hop that was the first gig we ever did together we probably got like 50 pound or something then Mudlums yeah like maybe a couple of months later and we we're doing that uh then he's signed to Ninja Tunes then he's got an album coming out next thing we know we start to tour the world you know what I mean we're in, we're in Canada I'm on a tour bus for three weeks <laughs> and, and I'm getting to DJ like so I'm doing a set and then I'm doing the set with Roots Maneuver 
and I'm, I'm going all around Europe and it's mad I'm going countries I've never been to you know Hungary Germany all over France Italy and getting all the exposure from and what all of that I mean to kind of come up from the 80s and to be into that in that by the late 90s quite a an astounding thing to do man I know there was a few of you out there but loads of people tried to do tapes do you know what I mean loads of people tried that hustle yeah it must have been quite a well I suppose also it was your journey so it's hard to stop and look, look at what's going on isn't it but you know what also like no one else was doing it not like like that. you'd have DJs like I remember hearing like like DJ Pogo you mm -hmm. could go to Four Star Journal and you could you could buy his mixtapes uh probably some other guys but there was no one who was going, right, I'm going to use the example of what these guys are doing in New York. Get all the latest music, put it on one tape, mix it, obviously, put a cover on it. That's Not, it. No handwriting, no, handwritten no, no. TV. Get a cover done. Get a, like my bedroom was a designer up and come in and he used to do these covers and, you know, and then they started off as, you know, TDK D90s with a cover but then I'd get a manufactured like a proper cassette yeah. with proper type yeah. and it looked the shit and that's why people would, would, would mess with it and also I'd put MCs on yeah. so you know like Super T Roots Maneuver yeah. Skinny Man or Mud Family Guys Lewis Parker Brotherhood people like that so then they'd be spitting for, for me on these tapes exclusives as well amazing days yeah and then I was kind of clocking, okay, I'm giving these guys exposure. Yeah. Like, and then those tapes would just go everywhere. And the more I'd travel, you know, go to Poland, I'd have a bunch of kids coming up to me going, oh, we heard your mixtape or whatever. And I'd obviously now be getting mad gigs all over the world. Yeah. It's just, just crazy. Um, with the, uh, with the tapes, did did you looking looking at New York? What Clue and all them lot and how they this is before Clue before Clue. So, yeah. so basically, you'd have radio show tapes. Yeah, so they're the first. They were the first ones that came. Things out, that yeah. I'm hearing of DJs yeah. cutting up. So this is eighties. This is this is eighty four. This is the, sort of eighty eight. This is the start of the radio shows. Yeah. yeah. So Mr. Magic Marley Mall. Yeah. Uh, Latin Rascals. Wow. Uh, Africa Islam, even yeah. Zulu Beats, they, they were the first. But then, as you get into the end of the 80s, Kid Capri That's right. is starting to do actual mixtapes. Yeah. Coming into the 90s now, it's Kid Capri, uh, who's these guys called G-Brother Pro and Ray Double R. They used to do like these four-track mixes, which which were crazy. Early doo-wop, wow. 91. And now I'm clocking, these are the guys I'm looking at, and I'm thinking, and no one, no one was getting these tapes. No one was doing it like so that. So no. I just had the idea to do it. Did you then, go out there? No, 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 no. I didn't go to New York till 1998. Amazing. I had man. friends who'd send it over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is all just like basically recon, isn't it? <laughs> totally. totally. Killer. Yeah. Amazing, man. No. And just an open market for you here. You could use that formula. Bruh. You know what the deal was. You had to hook up with the vinyls. Yeah. You know, and all the rappers. Yeah. And, and, and then come, you know, sort of the mid 90s, I'm clocking the hustle now. So now I'm like, okay, I'm calling up 
every record label in New York. And I'm like, listen, I'm DJ MK. I'm the mixtape king yes. of the UK. I can promote you. I yeah. do mixes for Westwood. Oh, word? Tim Westwood? Yeah, we know Tim Westwood. Yeah. So they'd send me three records. Oh, my God. And it don't sound like much, but for a kid to no, get three said- records and promo copies and yeah. stuff that might not come out... It was it was incredible. Yeah, this isn't file sharing. It was so like I, I only ever bought vinyl. When I opened the shop, actually, I got sent a few bits and pieces. Right. There was nothing like it, yeah. like being given that tangible piece of music. Yeah. And especially back then, when you know, what, my first records I used to buy from MSM from Chris and Des. Oh wow, big, big love Chris and Des. And um, you know, you go there and he'd have you know fifteen copies of this vinyl. Hmm like sick I got one of the 15 yeah. it's so much different getting free music or buying music different game yeah, man. different yeah, yeah. feelings because if you missed it if you uh, didn't get those 15 copies yeah. it might not come back oh in. no That's exactly yeah. be you'd be lucky you might be able to run across town and find it but you may not yeah. and then if you want it to come back in maybe wait three months it might come might not yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. crazy days so getting those free hookups yeah and then so, yeah, so then from, from I suppose those days up until about 2000 and three, those were the, the last days of the mixtapes for me. Things were going on CD. I did the London Underground thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, shout out to, 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 to uh, Teach. Yeah. And Zombie, who did like some of the covers for me then. And, and, and they killed it, man. Yeah. That's what I started stocking. That's right, when I opened right, up. Right. I just managed to get in. Right. Yeah, yeah, in 03, right. we got those tapes right, in 04. Right, right. Yeah. Or CDs, should I say. Mm, CDs. Yeah, yeah. lovely thing to grab, man. Lovely mm. thing. They went, they went well. They went well down the cool. shop. But yeah, it was brilliant to have, man. I've already got my copies at my mum's still as well. Brilliant. Yeah, nice. yeah. got to keep them, man. Classics. Wicked. So, um, early 2000s, what happens? Like, the DJ scene's popped off for you. You're solidly in. You're a yeah. decade in, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, solidly in. By this time, it's pretty nuts, man. Like, the Roots Maneuver thing, like me and him, and just, you know, now we're going Australia, we're going New Zealand, going back out to the States to do our own tours, and being the first to do a lot of things. Like, there's always been UK artists who've gone out and done shows in America, but we were definitely the first guys to go out there and really open the doors like in a, in, in a bigger way and, and do like, you know, like six week tours for, you know, pretty big venues. Yeah. Like theatres yeah. for like two, three thousand people uh, and stuff like that. And is that the various promoters out there just like, we'll take you on, we'll do this thing? Well, it's all through an it? agency. So oh, right, we, cool. wouldn't, so we yeah. wouldn't know the promoters. And, yeah. You know, it would just be... They'd be doing their job right, basically. Yeah. And, Perfect. And... and we all had our own booking agents and it was it was a business by then yeah it was a business so i had my own distribution company by that time because i clocked well if i'm selling my mixtapes why don't i just buy a master of stretch armstrong or someone for 150 bucks and then i can just duplicate as many as i want yeah and that's what i was doing uh but yeah come about 2003 obviously it's going more to cds the internet now is coming in, yeah. so sales are going down, and I clocked out, and I was like, you know what, this is this is this is this. this I've got is to move my energy. Now. So then I started to get into production, try to you know start learning about that, uh, and then in two thousand and six, I put out an album called Above Board. Yeah, uh, I produced a cut 
Fallacy called My Show, which was co-produced by my brethren, uh, Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 2004, sorry, 2000, I started doing Pirate Radio, Itch FM. Ah, uh, right. With my brethren, A-Side. Yeah. a show called The Show With No Name, which was yep. huge. I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that to like 2004 and come 2004, like, I was like, listen, man, I've been doing other people's radio shows, doing guest mixes for people all around the world now. I just want my own show. Yeah, I've got this pirate radio show and it's great. But we just took it as far as we could take it. Yeah. Kind of hit the glass ceiling. And uh, then someone from Kiss hit me up and they were like, we've heard about your show on Itch FM. Like, do you want to come by to Kiss to cover for someone? hell yeah so I covered for this guy once covered for him twice covered for him six weeks what then he came back and I was like oh that's it man I'm gone he's back and they were like no 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 we really like what you're doing do you want to do the show together this is with a guy called DJ Scully so I was like cool Scully yeah yeah and the maddest thing was he used to be a mixtape customer yeah from from 95 when he was like 12 years old so we knew each other (laughs) I knew him as, you know, yeah. Mark from Kettering or wherever he yeah. was from. Uh, so then a few months later, he just turned around to me and he was like, you know what? I'm not really feeling this DJing thing anymore, man. Like, I don't want to do it. My heart's not in it. And I was like, he was like, do you want to just take the show over by yourself? Ooh. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> cool, mate. <laughs> and then, so I started doing that. And then once I started at Kiss, they were like, yeah, we got this Saturday night radio show with a guy called Mark Ronson. Like, he can't make it every week. Do you want to do it? Like, share the show with him. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then they were like, yeah, on the KISS network, KISS also own another station called called Kerrang. I was like, I know Kerrang. It's yeah. like rock music. There was some rock magazine. And they were like, yeah, they want a hip hop show. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I'm now I'm doing like three radio shows a week damn. DJing for Roots Maneuver tour in the world myself I've got my own agent and again I'm being DJing called up to do this the world, that and the Europe. yeah uh, and obviously you know the whole UK hip hop scene was still popping off right then yeah so yeah man there's there's lots going on uh, well, look, you put out a couple of things and singles as well didn't you? was it you and Super T did you do something for him uh, yeah there was uh, it's all live that's it, it's which, all live, which yeah. Which came out, I don't even know when it came out, man. That was like 2000, 2001, with Jest, mm. and Super T and Kaiser. We were supposed to have Kalashnikov on it, but he didn't turn up. <laughs> so we had to get Kaiser. And what did you feel of the production stuff? What did I? How did you feel about the production stuff? Like on that record? Or just in general, like in terms of an avenue to run down, like were you going to take it on full time? Like was it going to be... Oh, man. Or well, at that time... I was, yeah, trying to get into production, but it was something I always wanted to do, but it wasn't on top of my list. Yeah. What was on top of my list was still trying to be the best DJ I could. Brilliant. And to try and hit every avenue of DJing, touring for an artist, right, tick, Roots Maneuver. Yeah. Mixtapes, right, done that, tick, keep on doing that. Radio, right now I'm on Kiss, tick. Uh, so I just wanted to try and that's what you were really aiming for yeah, and the yeah, sideline yeah. was like yeah wicked I love my music so I can produce I'm yeah. going to produce but this so, isn't 
so I remember like Harry Love actually was the first person who showed me how to properly use like an SP oh, wow. and made yeah. a, a beat nothing ever happened with it uh-huh. uh, but yeah but but then after that like uh, my friend DJ Go like let me use SP sorry he let me use 3000 and I start messing around on that but also like you know stuff like Reason yeah my mate giving me like free things just messing about on the computers uh, doing um, stuff like that wicked man mm. and then um, how's it been for the last like 10 years or so you became you've been DJs for other people you've yeah so yes yeah. so then uh, I suppose from 2006 yeah it just gets bigger so then the shows get bigger so then the Roots Maneuver stuff just blowing up so now you know, loads of TV stuff uh, again going around the world so by this time it's like you know 2006 2007 right we're going to Australia that was like the fifth time we've been to Australia Jesus <laughs> you know oh we're doing the tour of the states yeah. it's like the fourth tour well you know and it's kind of getting used to it a little bit yeah but still loving it mm. uh, doing the radio radio's popping off you know so it's like Thursday night nine o'clock st- still live yeah you know uh, and having like literally every hero I've ever had in hip hop come through, whether it be I don't know Outkast, Nas, whoever. You've met them all. Oh yeah, I've met them, and they've come in and they're freestyling for you, and I'm just like, oh shit, man, this stuff's this stuff's crazy. Uh, but also, it's more of a business. Yeah. So there's more work, and it's more about like trying to balance shit out yeah so now I can't say yeah yes to every DJ gig yeah I've got to be like look I've got to be sensible about this do you know what I mean you can't dilute the name but also you can't overwork yourself yeah yeah it might be a nice gig but if I do it that means this this one's going to suffer this this project this project might suffer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so a lot more thought goes into everything yeah but uh, and then 2007 I started DJing for Dizzy Rascal uh, how did you meet him I met him through he had another DJ who couldn't do some gigs so he asked me to step in yeah uh, and yeah then I started doing that full time from 2010 wow. still do that now and that's just like that's next level next more level. world tours as well but yeah and you know then it's it's, it's taking it to stadiums so now we're doing like stadium tours, you know. And You're playing just, in front of tens of thousands. Well, well, yeah. I mean, like we did this thing called the Big Day Out in uh, 2010 and it was just stadiums of Australia. <laughs> so the smallest gig we did was probably 60,000 people. Like Fuck I remember we got there in New Zealand and it was, yeah, it must have been about 100,000 people. Before that, the biggest gig I'd ever did was 100, about 100,000 with Roots Maneuver at Glastonbury. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it's just getting bigger and bigger and it's now just more about just trying to enjoy it and, 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 and keep the momentum going. Hold it all together. Yeah. yeah. Do you, how does your show go every week then? Is it like really structured with what you and Shorty do and do you, because you seem to be doing loads at the same time it isn't just a radio show mm. that you do you're mm. playing out you know 
doing bits and pieces with people and then the show's like a staple for London now. It's like uh, you had you, you got people on all the time. Like how how structured is it? Is it like a a lot of planning or is it quite an easy uh, I mean luckily with me flowing so so basically what happened in Start of Kiss in two thousand and four, come two thousand and ten, they totally changed the structure and they got rid of a lot of DJs. Right. So they were basically like we really like you and we like Shorty Blitz because there used to be two hip hop shows I did my own hip hop show yeah. Shorty did his show with a guy called Big Ted that's right so <clears throat> then they were like look we're going to get rid of all these guys but we want to keep you two do you want to do the show together and if it was anyone else I, I wouldn't have done it because right. I don't particularly want to do a radio show with anyone else but Shorty's like my brother yeah. totally came up in the game together you know I gave him his residency at the hop so we used to DJing together every other week yeah you've had a relationship built already and you know we both rate each other mm. and we both know we're very good at what we do so when we came together to do the radio it wasn't really like a we're going to sit down and we're going to plan it this way and we're going to have these guests he's going to play what he wants he's going to be him and play him You're which is what thing. I want him to do because yeah. he's the don at doing that that's why that. you love him yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm going to do the same so there's never been a question of, oh, I want to play that record or you've got to play that or yeah. we've got to have this guest in. If Shorty wants a guest, I know because I rate him, the people he suggests is going to be good and the people yeah. I suggest is going to be good. So it worked out well. And yeah, we're still doing it to this day. So that's from 10, 2010. 2010, Fucking yeah. Fucking hell, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been on Kiss for 14 years. Damn. He's been on since, I don't even know, man. Longer, that's for sure. It's a bum thing you're holding down though, man. Yeah. yeah Amazing yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And then I do a show on Kistry <clears throat> as well, which is quite cool because I can basically play any Anything. like old school bits I want. So I play some Ultramagnetic MCs, Boom. play some Garage tunes, yeah. play some 90s Bashment, mix it all up, play some 90s hip hop, yeah. early zero hip hop, some R&B even. Boom. And then, how do you feel about your interviews and that? I mean, would you do you like doing them? I do. I love it, man. Yeah. It's 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 crazy because like you get to meet people you never think you'd meet. Yeah. You get to meet people. Sometimes you think would be really cool. Yeah. We were told dicks. Yeah. Uh, and then you just learn stuff. Did you train at all? Did you? You didn't train to interview people. <sighs> See, it really, your questions probably started from, and they're probably a bit it's more structured now, but yeah, it's the fan. Yeah, it's the, exactly, that's all it is. I've taken all this knowledge in all over these years. Yeah. I'm going to formulate some questions now and yeah, yeah, yeah. put them to these stars. Because the thing was, like, I never talked on the mic, and I was never one of those DJs. Really stupid. I don't know if I... I gonna say maybe it's because I'm shy but I'm not shy but I don't know what the reason was but I remember when I when I, when I first used to start DJing you know the host would go oh yeah let me introduce you and I'd be like no no don't introduce me I just want to do my set <laughs> I didn't want that attention yeah, I yeah, just yeah. wanted to do to do this is what thing. I'm here for just yeah. let me do this uh so sorry I lost my train of thought it was, um interviewing people and then yeah so with the whole interviewing thing it was just like you know, just, just as a sort of fan point of view. But yeah, so I'd never talk on the mic. So when I started doing pirate radio, there was a guy called A-Side who would do the presenting. And then there was the odd time when he wouldn't be there. So then I'd have to talk on the mic. Yeah. 
And then I was like, oh, this is actually quite easy. I just didn't like the sound of my own voice. Right. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Then I got used to that. And I was like, it's quite easy. And then we started to have guests like Skinny Man would come up and Mud Family, Roots Maneuver. Yeah. And they're my mates. Yeah. So they're I'm just, just talking to them. It's not really an interview, even though it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I'm on Kiss. And I remember the first interview I had to do with LL Cool J. This is in like 2004. And, uh, you know, in the 80s, obviously, like, LL Cool J was huge. Super Don, yeah. Yeah, and I was a big fan. So, but by that time, the music he was making was a bit crap. Yeah. But I remember interviewing him, and he was mad cool, man. And he did me a freestyle. I was cutting up, and LL Cool J was like, what's going on, man? This is nuts. So, but like like yesterday, I was, I was chatting to Rick Ross about <laughs> places in Italy that he likes to go to, talking to him about... <laughs> when he was 13, like, washing drug dealers' cars and the things that he'd do to, to hustle and make extra money and just 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 mad things. But then that inspires you to do certain things and then you think, wow. You know, him telling me about, you know, he used to roll with EPMD in the 80s. And, yeah. Yeah, man. And, and, and called you rap. Wow. Stuff like that. Yeah. So... You must hear some amazing bits and pieces, man. And it's I think it's it's good not coming from that interviewer's background either, or like or, or even an interest in interviewing. Yeah, yeah. Because then it's real genuine and real like uh, oh these answers are sick yeah. if you can take them in, not just tick, got the answer, tick. Yeah, it's yeah. more more to get into. And artists know that as well. Yeah. Because if you ever spend a, a day of press with any artist, they're essentially asked the same questions all day. Yeah. So if you've got half a brain and you're a fan, you know what you want to ask, but also you know what they're, they're there to promote. They're there for a reason at the time. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you know you can, I can make this, yeah. this hour a bit easier when you... Yeah. Right. I remember when I was interviewing LL Cool J, I learned that lesson. Yeah. Because it was LL Cool J. I didn't like any of this new music he was putting out. No. So all I'm talking about is, is the 80s The stuff. classics. And then I remember he just goes, yeah, but uh, let's talk about the new CD. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you've got the new CD coming out. It's coming out on May the 1st. Yeah, wicked, wicked. And I thought, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> you balance it out, man. He's not here just to talk about 1987, Bigger and Defer album. Bring you back with big smiles. It's not about that. Yeah. <laughs> wicked, man. Wicked. Have you met any other people in the game over the years that have come from your past or were involved in your past in some way that may, may you may not have known, maybe like us two, like we've come up in the culture, we didn't mm. know each other at all. Has anyone you've seen like, oh, what, you were part of that group? Like, were you a part of that scene or who are in, in, in a professional world now? Or... Yeah, probably. I mean, I can't... Yeah, definitely. But... There's also I, a lot of coming up together as well, I suppose, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I, t- I can't really think of any examples, but... Even, even like online, like randomly meeting people who used to do something or knew someone, but I can't really think of any examples. Yeah. But it's like, but yeah, it's just the scenes that we've all we're all growing up and getting yeah. a little sick. Yeah. And what are your plans for the future? How do you see it? Plans for you got the any plans for the future? Well, I just feel blessed that I'm still essentially doing and making a nice living out of what I was doing. As, as a, as a 16 teenager, year old. Yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, so I'd like to, yeah, go back into production. I'm, I've got my own label. 
put, put yeah, just put more stuff out Boom. and just really enjoy it, which obviously hip hop's changed a lot and it's very easy to say, oh, hip hop shit, mm. all of hip hop shit. And I've been hearing people say that since 2000. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. And we're still going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but it's, 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 it's changed, man. But it's still, you know, I still love what I do. And, you know, I feel really lucky. Like, you know, a few days ago, I was in Iron Apple on some pool party DJing for thousands of people the day before that I was at a festival with Dizzy Rascal in front of 30,000 people Sick. cutting up and yeah. you know tomorrow 7 in the morning I'm flying to Finland for 3 days yes. you know so it's easy to take it for granted as well which that's how you lose yeah. like you always just have to go oh this isn't everyone yeah well, you know, you, you got to give yourself a reality check like every month or every few weeks yeah. and go, it's easy to get gassed. And the yeah. people who get gassed, they're out, man. They, well, they two, never last. You've, you've, be proud of yourself, obviously. Sure. Definitely that. You know what I mean? You put the work in. Yeah. Like, you've got to be proud of yourself and it's yeah. how you keep the fuel going. But yeah, don't, you can't come complacent with it. Yeah. You've got to understand it was hard work that put me here. I've got to keep the hard work up. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I'll keep doing the hard work. No yeah. complacency. Yeah. I've written a book as well. Have you? Yeah. I've written a book about just my experience in the uh, music industry in yeah. the last wow, 25 years. Is that going anywhere? Uh, I've, I've got to finish it off. I've done most of it. Amazing. So man. I say that would probably, what are we in now? July. What I'm going to do is the gigs kind of calm down after festival season mm -hmm. in October. So I think if I can, I might try and take like a month off and spend I need like a month to focus on that uh, I've had people like offer like you know, publishing deals and that but yeah. I don't want anyone to, to I don't until it's 100% done yeah. like you don't even talk about that world until yeah, you know yeah, you've got yeah, your product yeah. ready so that's that's something that's that I've got as well that I want to and that covers 25 years and just everything you've been through with it and ups yeah. and downs and yeah. some stories yeah. and yeah it's pretty pretty mad but also there's because I mentioned people in the industry, yeah. I've had to seek like legal advice. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. Because there's certain if I say certain stories about certain people, like you I've can't be, be slanderous. Like, I don't get sued. Yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? all of that stuff. So. I know a um a, a book lawyer. I oh, know cool. someone who specialises right, we'll in working with authors really? and publicists, yeah, Sick. and then working out the the legalities in between before anything happens. Sick. I could probably introduce you to a lovely yeah, yeah. girl. Nice, yeah, cool. Yeah. Would Might you? help. Nice one, nice one. Sick one. And yeah. one last thing, man. Mm. Are you gonna ever gonna re put out those mixtapes again? Because I missed the last drop where you made the cassette tape with the USB stick. <coughs> fucking amazing. Yeah, that's what I did. You know, because I've always had people go, "Oh, I missed out on volume eight. Oh, have you got a copy of this?" And rather than digging up my tape deck yeah. and finding a blank tape somewhere <laughs> and high speed dubbing it. Like, that's not going to work. So what I did was I got every master copy of all the mixtapes. Yeah. I went studio, put them all in Logic, like remastered it, made it sound nice uh, and then did the USB thing. That was brilliant. So basically all of my mixtapes, pretty much that I've ever done 
are on this this USB. And I did. I think I'd done like, I think like three hundred copies, and they sold in two weeks. Yeah, and that was it. I should really do some more, but because that was what that was a couple of years ago. Yeah, three years ago. Three maybe. years ago. I think. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, three years. Maybe ago. another year or so gap, but. Yeah. I think there's always a, a taste for that, man. That, yeah. Your mixtapes were like super, super fucking important. They became a big deal. Bruv, you know what? I, I, I didn't know. Like, I, I, I had no no idea. I'll tell you something mad. Like, I was in West Ken when I was living in West Ken, like 94 times. And I just literally just stayed in my room that I lived in and just banging out these mixtapes and mixes I had to do for Westwood. I'd have my window open. Yeah. And obviously, I'm 18. I'm, you know, it's an estate. So, yeah do what you want all right so it was so loud but i had a guy on instagram hit me up going i used to be your postman <laughs> yeah? and you used to live at like blah blah 24 blah. desborough house i was like whoa how, how do you know that and he's yeah. like bro like i used to pass there and i used to hear you mixing and then i'd listen to westwood and i'd hear the mix the mix even like uh Four from, from from DDS. I was chilling with him the other day, and he was saying the same thing. Like he used to hang around like the estate, checking. Uh, like Donkey used to live above me. Okay. And I never knew right. that he lived above me. Uh but yeah. So four used to check him, hear the music from the car park. Yeah. And obviously he's into hip hop and hearing hip hop, and hearing like someone cutting up, and then he'd listen to Westwood, and then he'd hear he'd that say, mix yeah, of yeah. what he was just listening to. Be like, what? How how am I hearing this? I've heard this already. Like, so, brilliant. Yeah, it's mad, man. Another year or two, man. Please drop them again. Yeah, yeah. The no, U- I thought the USB. I'm so I can't. I don't even know how I missed it. But the USB on the tape cassette was some, genius. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't get one, I'll get some more done up. Wicked man. Yeah, yeah I missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No I've worries. got all the hard copies in that, but that just looked gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't even know how I missed it. But yeah, no. Yeah, wicked. No worries. And <clears throat> so graffiti being a part of your life. And then hip hop as music, and then becoming a DJ, man. It's been a sick journey. Yeah. yeah. It's non stop. A yeah. couple of little jobs along the way, but yeah, really yeah, yeah. passions fueled it all. And yeah. Yeah, that's it. Being that culture person, isn't it? Just grabbing culture. It's mad. It's mad, man. It's mad. And it's mad to see, like, how everything mm. is now. Do you know what I mean? Where everything stands and, like, with graph, like, we were talking, like, off microphone about how you know Instagram and we can just go online now and just look at galleries and galleries of, of, of amazing pieces that were done 30 years ago but then the flip side of that is things are more instant they're more disposable yeah they're like you know people's attention spans all of us yeah. has just gone down well like I was saying man I, I feel quite strongly about we've got to be careful and fragile with the way we put our culture out because we have been waiting 30 years to talk about English culture in this sense. Mm. And not to say we've never spoken about the culture. Of course, there's been many conversations over the years, but we're all, as a lot of us have come of age and are coming of age. And we've got people in our culture from the age of 12 all the way through to 60 years old now mm. in this country. Yeah, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I want to see our history put out and looked at in a proper way. And yeah, Instagram's come along. Twitter, SoundCloud, and all that type of stuff. But we've got to be, although our culture is massive and it's a lot bigger than it ever has been, there's no need for it to be diluted. And I just want people to think. It's, it's true. And it's like, we have our own power. And we're, 
when I say we, I don't mean that. I mean you. You know, I just I just mean the people who are yeah. involved with with the actual culture. They need to get together and uh, and kind of do something, man. Mm. Because I tell you what, I'm sick of you. Yeah? I'm sick of seeing. I got invited to some West End like photography exhibition, and it was all like you know photographs. Props to the guys who took those photographs because they're they're dons, but they were there and took photographs. They're not part of no. the hip hop culture, yeah. and it's like I was gonna go to it. I didn't end up going. A few of my friends went, and it's just pure, just trendy dickheads yeah. who've got nothing to do with hip hop, mm. you know. And but, they, I will be the motherfuckers who dictate. Well, that's the problem. And we'll write yeah. history. I know think know? it's great that we have these opportunities, and the, the scene is, the culture is seen by all types of people, and mm. applauded at, and talked about, and written about by all types of people, but. There's something up with the English as well. I think there's something in us as English people mm. and the way that we... We're not American, that's mm, for sure. We're yeah. not self-selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think this whole holding of our culture and the, the importance of the stories and that, which was how it always has been in the UK mm. towards what's happening now, I just, I just think, look, we, the culture is old enough in the country that people have grown up in certain positions who can make decisions and moves. Mm. We definitely have people in the book publishing industry who grew up in our culture. Mm. Those people need to come out of the woodwork mm. and work with the people who are in the culture and not who have got the history of the culture and start putting shit together. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. the same with documenting anything that we're sure. doing. Because, yeah, Instagram's great and we're all addicted to it and I get mm. it and we all get that feel, but it can't be the way that our culture moves out into yeah, this world totally. or I mean, look, its history disappear like that. If you are a, a 16-year-old kid and you're into like hip-hop or grime or drill or whatever, when you look at that history, that history is going to tell you or you're going to think that the, the hip-hop scene in the UK started in about 2002, yes. 2003. It started in East London. Mm. With, with, you know, Skepta... And a PlayStation. And, 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 and PlayStation yeah. and all that. And that whole history of, you know, Spats, Titanic Club, yeah. you know, Futura, yeah. Clash. That's all forgotten about. Yeah. Racking paint, yeah, no yeah, paint yeah, brands, yeah, yeah. no so, graph shops. Yeah. And I, I love all that. Mm. I love all that. I was part of it. Mm. But... We just look. We just need our history out. Reason I'm doing this podcast, man. I'm loving the fact that everyone's coming over. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. thank you, man. Yeah, I really appreciate you, you coming over, brother. Big up, big up. Nice, man. Kilburn kids. Exactly. Kilburn kids. And rest in peace, Jan. You know, yeah. we forgot, yeah, brother. Rest in peace, mate. Wicked. Wow, another great conversation about London culture and creativity. And that reminiscing about Soho brought me right back. MK took hold of his culture firmly when he understood it properly and never let it go. Apart from when he had to fight that HMV manager. He put it down there for a quick minute. But what a journey though, hey? Hard work was definitely part of it. Determination and fine-tuning his craft. He's been at it. He took each opportunity as it came, pushed on to the next, and it's led him around the world on more than a few occasions. Inspiring journey, literally. Catch him on Instagram at the real DJMK. His show on Kiss FM and Kiss Story every week, and he's always out there somewhere popping off a party. You might see him with Dizzy in an arena, or you might see him having some breakfast with Teach in a cafe in Kensal. Big up MK, Kilburn Kids. Remember, love your city and love your culture. This is F24.